0: Welcome to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. The topic in the series is on cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and the future of tax. In this episode, we'll cover what's the latest on Libra, the troubled digital currency spearheaded by Facebook, and what could a widely adopted digital currency mean for the Australian economy and the future of taxation? Hello, I'm your host, Peter Zing, from the technology and growth team in KPMG's deals, tax and legal business. And I'm joined by Laszlo Peter, head of a blockchain at KPMG, and Professor Ross Buckley, who's the chair in disruptive innovation and law at the UNSW Law School. The chair is supported by KPMG in partnership with King and Malsons. It's an honor and privilege to have both of you here. Thank you very
1: much. Thanks, Peter.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: So in June this year, Facebook announced their plans for Libra, the digital currency from a variety of big-name partners of the non-profit Libra Association, based in Switzerland. Now, it was planned for release in the first half of next year, subject to regulatory approvals, and they were expecting around, what, 100 partners in total at release? Since then, there's been an immense regulatory backlash, and after pressure from the regulators and lawmakers, PayPal... Visa, MasterCard, Stripe, eBay, Booking.com, Mercado, Largo, praco they've all bailed on the Libra project. But nevertheless, Libra Association, uh, they still include Uber, Lyft, Spotify, Vodafone, PayU, and of course Facebook, among, among their 21 founding members. That was announced and signed on this month. So with that, Professor Buckley, uh, for those who aren't familiar with Libra, what is it? And uh, why is Facebook
1: and its partners doing this? Libra is mobile money in the m pesa sense in Kenya. So what you do is give you, if you wanted to have Libra, you'd pay some money to the Libra Association. They would create electronic money on your mobile phone that you could then spend as you sort. And the Libra Association is supposed to take the money that you've paid, put it into the Libra Reserve, which is cash on deposit in a commercial bank or highly liquid government securities.
0: Great. So... You know, what, what has this got to do with blockchain? I keep hearing that it's something like a stablecoin, Leslie.
2: Mm. Well, the way they organize this whole um, new cryptocurrency, which is actually not crypto, but just a stablecoin-like, which is collateralized by a basket of currencies, is that they are using the same technologies as the cryptocurrencies out there, um, but with some twist. Obviously, the stablecoin concept, where you have a newly minted token that is uh, pegged its value to a basket of currencies with no normal fluctuations, um, that's what's fueling um, this new craze around Libra and the Libra aficionados. <laughs>
0: Great, uh, thanks, Liza. So, why are the regulators, you know, th- why are they angry about this? What's what's, what's the gist against
1: this? it's partly facebook's track record with data and without paying much respect to regulators it's got the potential to become a parallel currency system for a lot of countries so you know not so much highly developed countries but in developing countries where the you know financial system doesn't work that well and particularly payments aren't very efficient this should be a fairly efficient payments mechanism it could rapidly you know, rival or surpass the local sovereign currency, which has all sorts of implications. And the way Facebook went about this was almost designed to get regulators upset. I mean, it's the difference, I think, between the sort of regulation Facebook is used to, which is telecommunications regulation, and financial regulation. Financial regulators expect to be treated with a lot more respect. They expect to be spoken to and and delivered high-quality documents that set everything out before you go to the market and say what you're gonna do.
2: Compounding that obviously is their track record in terms of privacy and uh, using information around the individuals, not necessarily around um, social media, but in this case about their financial transactions. And that, in the regulator's perspective, crosses certain boundaries around what um, a non-financial services uh, license holder, like Facebook, can or should do with this type of information.
0: Yeah, they're really pushing it and, uh, you know, trying to get something like this across with their track record.
1: I think that's and it's, it's also their reach. Remember, they have 2.3 billion active monthly users of Facebook. So that's a third of humanity, yeah. right? That's it. There's no other organisation I can think of with that sort of reach. So if this got up and ran, mm-hmm. it could connect people all around the world in a way that would undermine the current financial system.
0: And what would that impact look like in the Australian economy?
1: Not so large initially, I don't think, because our payment system is so good. We lead the world in pay wave, tap and go. It's very convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the biggest potential takeoff points are countries where the payment system doesn't work very well, less developed countries.
2: Or if you consider potential cross-border payment. Yes. So if you look at um, transactions initiated in our economy where um being able to clear funds from um, from our banking system into a token if you like could be quite uh, quite easy You'd tap and go and you can buy a liberal token uh, but then what you do with it is how you can transfer that into other jurisdiction that um, that might facilitate these type of cross-jurisdictional, cross-border payments without actually having to tap into the cross-banking or correspondent banking systems.
1: Yeah, which are way too expensive, right? <laughs> it's, it's way too expensive to, to send money from Australia to any of the Pacific Island nations. So that's where it would really launch in Australia. Laszlo is exactly right, I think. You know, Pacific Island people living in Australia wanting to send money home, Libra should be able to do that for 10% of the cost of, that we have at the moment.
2: And I think that's one of the um, interesting um, opportunities that we see with stable in particular where with the current systems um, that transfer will take between 8 to 12, maybe 6 to 12 percent uh, erosion of benefits of these transactions. Suddenly you would have an alternative way that doesn't carry those type of costs, including transaction cost, uh, the FX conversion rate as the worst possible exchange rate possible, and also immediacy. So you can access those funds in uh, a much faster rate than you will currently have it um, without having to go to the normal systems.
0: So from an economics perspective, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you're removing all of these artificial costs within the system. So why, why doesn't government sort of pursue something like their own reserve-issued currency? You know, you're seeing in China that they're, they're looking at an RMB coin equivalent. Yeah,
1: well, China has announced it's going to do that in response to Libra. I mean, I think... The reason governments around the world haven't issued central bank digital currency so far is that it's a game changer. It changes the look of the entire financial system and it's very difficult to think through all the implications. You know, At the moment, The only entities that have access in our system to central bank money are the major banks and a few multilateral institutions and you know all of us have it in the sense of cash Mm. but none of us have except for the banks access to central bank digital money. Mm. If you had a central bank digital currency that everybody had access to the whole system would look different.
2: I think that opens up um, some flexibilities that we haven't seen before in particular around um, atomic swaps or exchanging two assets in a real-time basis. Uh, right now if, even if you have a digital asset uh, the, the settlement or exchange of that asset with someone else still relies on a third party who would guarantee that the payment will follow that exchange of value having a digital currency suddenly that becomes almost um, atomic or a swap that can happen in a cross-border sense as well almost instantaneously because the coin itself is a value carrying asset that is automatically cleared and can be exchanged.
1: And if China issues a central bank digital renminbi, Australia is almost certainly going to have to respond because it will, as a digital currency, it will interact with digitized trade processes so well. Um, And the renminbi doesn't move around very much, which is the problem with most cryptocurrencies it would extensively be used to document trade but then the information the data associated with that would end up in Shanghai not in Mm. Australia so Australia would want a digital Australian dollar
2: compound that with uh, the Belt and Road initiatives 65 countries uh, from the China Sea down to the Horn of Africa uh, that's America, a very interesting proposition. Right.
1: America has crafted the world in its image ever since World War II. You know, yeah. China's stepping up. That's right. The US
0: dollar was the default reserve, Ooh, right? That's Global right. reserve. And uh, yeah, now you're seeing that. So how does this all tie in with the other blockchain projects? You know, I know, KPMG, we're doing something around the provenance of assets in the token economy. Tell us more about that.
2: Well, uh, trade and the way we see today, which is mainly paper driven, um, will change and data will drive uh, cross-border trade and the settlement that we talked about will be run most likely around these uh, clear clear tokens or uh, digital currencies that will be able to fast track and facilitate a way more dynamic and more real-time trade that opens up new type of uh, trade corridors um, um, newly defined and redefined uh, free trade arrangements between nations and almost polarizes the trade world into those ones who will be fast to adopt and and create these type of new trade corridors that are fully digital, fully trade uh, compliant, uh, tokenized, and also standardized, just like the shipping containers in the sixties, and then those who are still running on a pink stamp on a on a paper delivered by DHL three weeks later. I think this polarization is the one that we see quite a lot, a uh, lot of invested in by the Southeast Asian nations, the, the Singaporeans, the Hong Kongese, the, the people who are looking at how can they differentiate and be at the forefront of this uh, systemic shift in global trade. That is not uh, an incremental step, but a fundamental redefinition of how modern trade will look like.
1: Yeah, the paper costs a su- substantial proportion of the total cost of the trade, doesn't it, at the moment? Exactly. It's extraordinary
2: and if you look at the uh, applicability of some of these um uh, new methods of what stable coins and the likes like remittances we talked about earlier but also being able to automatically calculate uh tax as assets are cleared customs or um uh, pay for liabilities um the emergence of uh, parametric insurance which pretty much baking in real time information assets into your um, premium payments, suddenly we see that a tokenized data will be as valuable as the asset itself that is sort of following. And that exchange of new tokenized data exchanges with new tokenized currencies and uh, fully tokenized uh, assets traveling to digital value chains is where the trade of the future will be. Wow.
0: So the future reserves will be able to trace dollar for dollar from their issuance to how that dollar is actually spent using these actually mechanisms so if you be able to bake in say customs duty and then eventually gst as it passes on along the economy i, I don't see why the government isn't isn't more pursuing this i mean tax collection is the basis of the foundation of civilization so that's
2: a big
1: word you're right? <laughs> starting to understand why china is probably going to do it mm because the Chinese government is hungry for information about what every step of the way of every Chinese citizen's life, Mm. right? So of course China would do it, but I'm with you. I mean, 45% of the currency by value in Australia is $100 bills, issued paper is $100 bills. Most Australians don't deal with $100 bills. Mm. So the question is, where is that? What is it being used for? You know, moving away from cash will shrink that black economy a lot.
2: I can't remember seeing a $100 bill no, no, oh. for years. No, no,
1: but forty-five percent by value are hundred-dollar bills. They're somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's an entire
0: task force dedicated, and there's tens of oh. billion dollars out there in the tax gap. So,
1: oh. in, oh. way, in,
0: in finding a way to trace every single one of these, um, that might be the future of taxation. Um, gentlemen, so what? What is that? Um, what, what is where to from now? You know, digital currencies. Let's say we meet again in uh, a year. Well, what does that look like? And what does that look like
1: three years from now? I don't think Libra will be dissuaded. I think they're going to try this even though they've lost some you know, important backers. Because there's so many different ways Facebook could make money out of this, right? For one thing, a little bit out of left field, to make Libra work, you've got to have a digital identity solution. Digital identity and customer onboarding is a very expensive part of banking at the moment. So Facebook can solve that. It's a strange situation. We've known how to solve digital identity for a while, but we haven't done it because the banks view each other as competitors rather than cooperating in this space. Facebook's got the resources, it's got the tech ability, it can solve that. Having solved that, its digital identity solution might be a very lucrative service that it's providing to the market. There's a number of other things like that that Libra could end up relatively small but still be a major source of profits for Facebook from sort of spin-offs from it. Mm -hmm. And the only way to work that out is to throw it out into the market and let the market do its thing. So I think I expect to still see Facebook forge ahead, even though they've had a bit of a setback lately.
2: It's also I see that some other similar initiatives will take more central stage than um, they had in the past. Uh, J.P. Morgan coins that was issued, which is on um, for the corporates, will be a massive benefit. Um, Comes down to not the KYC of the individual, but uh, the credit worthiness and the counterparty risk of large corporations. And it's not far fetched to believe that if that eventuates, suddenly um, a JP Morgan issued and credit worthed uh, coin will be accepted by others on their balance sheet as a value carrying asset, um, as a cleared, fully collateralized, with US dollar in this case, token, but nonetheless bypassing. Um, certain quite lucrative businesses today, in particular around Swiss-enabled um, money transfer between uh, uh, and correspondent banking, uh, redefining what is the, the, the future of uh, FX trade when you are just transacting own currencies but you're still uh, transacting in, in a cross-border sense, um, and how would uh, the credit work of someone, li- someone like J.P. Morgan would be perceived by a smaller bank in the Southeast Asia um, just performing their normal day-to-day duties. Subsequent to that, um, we see the emergence of new thinking around uh, intercompany reconciliations. If you have something like uh, a stable coin that it has some sort of value, um, multi- multi- large multinationals who have multiple offices, they currently reconcile and move money across their businesses uh, carrying transactions as well as FX risks how would that look like in the future if you would have something that you don't have to bake in every single time the margins the cost and the fx rate and rely on third parties like large multinational banks to to execute on it
0: yeah definitely so it's not a matter of if but when and uh, in China, you know, they're already starting to do uh, the facial recognition before you get a mobile number. So that's a, a step in the way of onboarding yep. onto WeChat and Alipay yeah. for uh, digital identity as well.
1: Yeah, well, WeChat and Alipay have developed their own private digital identity systems, which is ironic because identity is a, the, one of the most sovereign of functions. And in China, of all places, it's been privatised. Mm. We live in a surprising times. Mm,
0: yeah, that's right. yeah, in terms of global trade as well. So, you know, and I work in tax data analytics and essentially we're, what we have to do is rely on the clients to actually have that input in their systems, in their enterprise resource planning systems to capture every one of those transaction details. But, you know, that's always subject to input error or if you don't have descriptions on it, you have to reconcile back to the invoices so if that's already done automatically from the issuance of the digital currency I mean we can automate the tax collection straight away from that perspective so
2: I, I think that also uh, relies on a couple of other um building blocks besides just a a digital currency in particular around taxonomies of assets and being able to describe them in such a way that not just the issuing country but also the receiving country and everybody in between who takes um, a temporary custody of that asset will be able to talk in the same way using the same language. So standardization of the taxonomies of those assets but also a multilingual support uh, because right now, with a paper, you would have to translate all of these things. Now you can digitize and tokenize them. Uh, but if it's in English, obviously, <laughs> has a challenge, especially in our uh, um, jurisdiction. Being able to define those new common languages in such a way that these type of atomic translations are not just around automation of the process, but being mindful of the jurisdictional specifics, and the languages with characters i think um, that is also a fundamental building block of the um, of the cross-border trade of the yeah, future.
0: Definitely. I mean, the complexity of GST in Australia, you know, it's, it should be either GST or GST-free. Mm. But you look at something like uh, orange juice, if, you, if it's 80% or more orange, it's GST-free because, you know, you don't want to tax the farmers on their orange plants. But if it's something like Fanta or Cordial with less than 80%, then, yeah, you got to slap a GST on it. So that taxonomy, we actually have to make sure that it's codified in that sense um, and tie it in with something like a, a global trade item number something like that it's uh, been issued.
2: I think we will see the emergence um, um, subsequent to the um, the emergence of digital currencies or cleared funds and the definition of taxonomies, uh, the emergence of uh, global, re- global trade-ready organizations that are certified, that uh, they are ready to partake in this trade. And uh, in the same way as you do counterparty assessment and creditworthiness of these uh, trade participants, the next generation of assessments will be around, are they really ready for a digital trade? Are they really ready to partake and uh, take advantage of these uh, new trade corridors and free trade, trade arrangements between nations? Well, sounds like there's gonna be a lot of work to do as well. A lot, <laughs> a lot of fun. We're, we're really
1: at the beginning of something very significant here. Mm-hmm.
0: Gentlemen, Laszlo, Ross, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Peter.
2: Thank you, Peter.